try to find our seats back as we jump into this morning's message. But before I do that, I did want to add uh, to Tim's Happy Mother's Day message. I did want to add my own Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. Megan, Happy Mother's Day, babe. Love you. And I think my mom is watching, so Happy Mother's Day, Mommy. Anyways, uh, today I get, yet again, I get the privilege of, uh, of sharing the word, and uh, I, I love this. This is literally one of my favorite things to do in life, and so I am so thankful that I get to do this. Um, today, uh, you may have noticed that uh, we're doing something a little different. You know, we usually uh, go uh, through a book of scripture. We just finished First and Second Samuel, but then last week we had uh, TJ share a fantastic message about the church and the importance of coming. Um, and then today I'm actually preaching a message that is also not part of a series, but next week we will start a new series in the book of Titus for which we are very excited. And so we hope that you're here. Anyways, the message I get to Uh, Share this morning is one that some of you have actually already heard, and that would be if you attended the Grace Partnership Conference, you heard me preach this message. Um, After I preached this message back in February, I'm sure some of you remember every detail of the message, (laughs) Uh, but I preached it back in in February, and, and I was asked to actually preach it here to bring it to the church, and so it is with joy that I get to do it this morning. And uh Anyways, let's get started. <laughs> you know, when we first moved to Orlando, we, we had come from Malaysia, and we quickly found out that one of the things that you do as a Central Floridian is to get a Disney pass, right? A Disney season pass. And so there was a time when my family and I had Disney season passes. It was really fun. We took a lot of pictures, for which I am very thankful, because it's the only way my kids actually believe us that they have been to Disney. I've been there like 30 times, and uh, at least Nora has no recollection whatsoever. Uh, And so they always said, like, I mean, it would be nice to one day go to Disney. I'm like, yeah. Um, (laughs) But one of the things that, um, that we learn from going to Disney so often is that even in the best of settings, like when you are going to fun places and doing fun things with the people that you love most in this world, even in those moments... Peace and unity are hard to live out. Even at the most magical place on earth, you see fights, you see tears, you see conflict, you see some frustrated parents. (laughs) You know, in this broken world, peace and unity truly are rare. Even when we find ourselves wearing silly hats, enjoying Dole Whip, while surrounded by silly Disney characters, our hearts are still sinfully selfish and inwardly bent. And so what do we do? We fight. We bicker. Right? Our hearts, you know, are breeding grounds for selfishness and discontent. And according to the book of James, out of them come all the quarrels, fights, and wars in the world. Now, This is not only true at Disney, the most magical place on earth, but it is also true in what Charles Spurgeon calls the dearest place on earth, the church of Jesus Christ. Even in the church, peace and unity are hard to live out. This morning I've been asked to preach uh, this passage that deals with the topic of unity in the church. But the truth is that even if this passage is pretty straightforward, living it out is not easy. 
I believe this passage is of great importance in our day and age and for the current state of the church. This text, as you will see in a second, is every pastor's dream because in it, Paul clearly states the points that he's trying to make and he even includes illustrations, which is super helpful. The passage itself, you'll see, is very clear, for which I'm thankful. But the danger is that it is also a passage that we are all very familiar with. And familiarity often breeds mediocrity and passivity. So this morning, even if you've already heard this message, I'd ask that you would lean in. And that you would ask the Lord to help us glean from the text exactly what he wants us to learn. Not only to learn, but also that we would be humble enough to recognize the ways in which we may have failed. And that we would be diligent in applying this passage in our lives and the life of our church. Amen. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come this morning before you and we approach your holy word and we ask, Lord, would you please speak? We ask that you would speak to it um, from it or through it to us, Lord, and that we would be quick to listen. Father, I pray that if there's anything that I say that comes from my own understanding, Father, anything that doesn't align to the truth of the gospel, Father, that I pray that it would, be, that it would fall and be forgotten. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Would you please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12? We will be covering verses 12 to 26, but I want to start by reading verses 12 through 14. And here I want you to see that our union with Christ compels us to fight for unity. So would you mind standing with me for the reading of the word of the Lord? Verse 12 says this, it says, For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So you see this passage which was read comes right after uh, a portion where Paul talks about uh, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit and the diversity of the gifts of the Spirit that God has given to the church. Later in verse 14, uh, I mean in chapter 14, Paul will come back and expand on specific spiritual gifts. But I think that the application of this passage, though it is, specifically about the gifts, I think the application of it goes well beyond spiritual gifts. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. So Paul starts, as we just read, by using the analogy of the body, right? In verse, in verse 12, he said, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And I want you to pay attention to what he's saying. Because it's really interesting that he says, so it is with Christ. It's interesting because he could have said, so it is with the church. And yet he says, so it is with Christ. You see, Paul intentionally puts it this way because he assumes that we know that the church is the body of Christ. This further assumes our union with Christ, doesn't it? You see, when we become Christians, we do not become part of a club. We don't become part of an institution or an organization. When we become Christians, we become united to Christ right. by the work of the Spirit. 
Have you ever thought about that? That you are united with Christ. John Stark puts it beautifully when he says this. He says, when we become Christians, our lives become so identified with Christ that what is said of Christ, died, buried, risen, exalted, and revealed in glory, is also said of us. What is true of Christ is true of us. What belongs to Christ belongs to us. Isn't that beautiful? That is our union with Christ, which Paul is assuming as we're reading this text. Paul then says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Did you hear that? You and I were baptized into the body. Not because we earned our way in, not because we paid our dues, but we are part of the body of Christ by the beautiful, unmerited work of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we come to Christ, not only are we united to Him, but we are also united to every believer believer in the world. Not only every believer in the world today, but every believer in the past and every believer in the future. In our union with Christ, not only are we vertically connected to God, but we are also horizontally connected to one another. In Christ, we are connected to what the Apostles' Creed calls a holy Catholic church. Not only the universal church as a whole, but also other individual believers. We're not just connected to a forest, if you will. We are also connected to every tree. This union with Christ is then the foundation for the unity of the church. Because you see, Christ in me will compel me to love my neighbor. And when we are part of a body made of people who understand they are united with Christ, unity should should flow easily, right? And yet... Let me ask you a question. When you look around the church today, is that what you see? Is that how those outside the church would describe us? Would they describe us as a united front, as a place of unity? Is that how we, those of us inside the church, is that how we would describe the church today? Not only the church in America, but the church around the world. I think not. (laughs) So let me ask you, why is that? I believe the passage this morning will help us identify two ways, at least, in which unity in the body is being hindered. For that, I want us to go to verses 15 and 16, and I want us to see that the way that we view ourselves can hinder the unity of the body. uh, Verses 15 and 16 says this, it says, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, that would not make it any less part of the body. So you see, the first thing that Paul tells us in this passage is that a distorted view of ourselves can hinder the unity of the church. By expanding on his analogy of the body, Paul shows us how ridiculous it would be for a foot or for an eye to think that it is not important for the functioning of the body. It's silly, isn't it? I mean, I have some ugly, skinny feet, but boy, am I thankful for them. If I were to get rid of one of my feet because they're not pretty, I would be handicapping myself. And though I would survive, 
I would really limit myself in the things that I can do. Even losing one of my ugly big toes would really put me off balance. But as silly as that illustration may sound, we truly are at times tempted to do the same thing, aren't we? There are moments when the enemy exploits our fears and our insecurities and makes us question whether we are important in the functioning of the body. There's a very real and common, this is a very real and common thing. We are often tempted to look at ourselves in comparison to others, and that is just silly. We compare our gifts and abilities to the gifts and abilities of others and often find ourselves discouraged. You might say, well, I'm not very useful in the church because I can't preach or because I can't sing like Justin or play an instrument like the people in the band. Or you might think, I don't even have an outgoing or commanding personality to lead a community group, for example. And, and you might be tempted to think, you know what, I think, I think I'm useless. But you know what? Praise the Lord that we're not all the same. Yes. Praise the Lord we are not all the same. Let me tell you, how annoying would it be to be in a community group with people that all acted like me? You know what? Praise the Lord. We are not all the same. You know, and I want to help you with a visual this morning of why we need diversity in the church. And in order to do that, I'm going to ask the band to come up here. They don't know this. I don't think most of them don't know this. But I I will ask the band to please come up here. So Tyler, Michael, Bill, Justin, Mikkel, Judah, I need your help this morning. Now, I'm going to ask you guys to play one of the songs that we played earlier. I don't know, maybe, maybe part of like How Majestic Is Your Name. I love that one. That's the hardest one. Uh, oh, <laughs> look at that. But you guys just did it so well a minute ago. So would you guys play it for me? Well, Where, what, are, you, are you assigning us? Uh, well, I have asked your wonderful husband to assign. So, you know, I'm in on it. We, uh, thank you. Now, you heard them play a minute ago. Now, I'm asking them to play another song. But as you notice, we're switching positions. Okay. So, Mikkel is going to be leading us in the guitar. I know. We're going to have Judah here. We're going to have Michael on the drums, Tyler on the bass, Bill on the keys. And Justin is going to do an interpretive dance for us. And so, I'm going to ask you guys to start. I'm going to count you guys down. Okay. Three, two, one, go. I don't, I can't hear them, can you guys? And you know, you know what? I don't see Justin's interpretive dance either, but. <laughs> all right, all right, yeah. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You guys did amazing. But please don't do that again. So now. 
This illustration doesn't always work great because they're great musicians, okay? But I'm so thankful for them. But here's the thing. I, don't, I hope you caught that. How they were each gifted in very specific ways. And the way that they put their gifts to the service of the Lord creates a beautiful melody. And yet, when you put them in the wrong place, the melody is not quite as beautiful. You know, church, we, the church, are a symphony. We are the symphony of the saints playing the part that we were each gifted to play. And when we judge our value to the body by comparing ourselves to others, we often conclude we're not valuable, or maybe we just don't belong. And so we might be tempted to despise the role that God has for us in the church. And then we might be tempted to isolate ourselves, if not leave the church. As a pastor, I cannot tell you how big of a problem this is. When people disqualify themselves from service because they don't think that they're valuable, because they don't value the gifting that the Lord has given them, it's a big problem for the church. Brothers and sisters, the church hurts whenever you don't value what God has given you. The church hurts when the stay-at-home mom, for example, thinks that she brings no value to the body. The church hurts when empty nesters think that their time of service is over. The church suffers when a young man or a young woman is passive because they think they are too young or because they think that they have to wait for a future, better version of themselves to finally serve. The church suffers when the single man or the single lady thinks that they don't fit in because they're not married. The church suffers when those with a sketchy past think their past disqualifies them from a future of service. Church, let us be watchful and let us not disqualify ourselves from the things that the Lord may be calling us to do today in the context where he has placed us. Brothers and sisters, beware of the lies of the enemy that will undoubtedly try to convince you that there is no room for you in the church. And I think I want to take this moment to say this. If we, as a church, have ever made you feel this way, would you forgive us? If we have ever said, if we have ever said anything or acted in a way that made you feel unimportant, would you please forgive us? Because that is not true. And we would say this morning, the Lord has you here for a reason. Do not despise the gifting that the Lord has given you for specific reasons. Church, let us watch our hearts. Let us watch our hearts when they question God's goodness. Let us watch our hearts when they give in to self-pity. When our hearts fix their eyes on the gifts of our neighbor and not in the grace of God who adopted us into his family and counts us as precious and valuable for his kingdom. Church, our distorted view of ourselves hinders the unity of the body. But when we use our gifts and when we play the part that God has for us, not only will we find contentment, 
but it will also help the body grow in biblical unity. So church, let me charge you this morning. Do not despise the gifting of the Lord in your life. This leads me to my next point, which is found in verses 17 through 20. And here I want you to see that uniformity is a cheap counterfeit for unity. Verse 17 says this, it says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If we all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet only one body. Here we see Paul anticipating one of the, of the consequences of valuing certain gifts over others. Paul asks, wouldn't it be weird if the whole body were an eye? You see, a body that is made up only of eyes is a, monst- a monstrosity. I mentioned this last time I preached this message, but as I was prepping for this message, I thought I would use AI to generate an image of, of what a body made up of eyes would look like. And let me tell you, that took me down some disturbing <laughs> paths. It was bad, and so I am not, I don't have a picture to show this morning. But the reality is that what Paul is saying, Paul's question, even though it sounds silly, because he's obviously being funny, he is encouraging the Corinthians to unity because he anticipates one of the biggest uh, counterfeits of unity, which is that of uh, uniformity. As a church, we need to guard ourselves from the cheap counterfeit of uniformity. Because if we're honest, it's a temptation for all of us, isn't it? At the cost of diversity, we are tempted to elevate and to glorify those that are just like us. Those that are gifted like us. Those that think like us. Those that look like us. Those that vote like us. And we do this because uniformity is so comfortable. But we're not called to uniformity. We are called to unity. I would go, I would go as far as to say that uniformity is a thief. See, uniformity robs us from delighting in God's design. Have you ever thought about the fact that diversity is an evidence of God's benevolence and abundance in creation? One of the ways that God shows us his love and his common grace is that he displays his glory through diversity. One of the ways my wife Megan shows her love and care for me and my children is that we rarely eat the same meal twice in a week. She always is coming up with new recipes and new things for us to try. She could easily feed us mac and cheese every day, but instead she she shows her love when she plans, prepares, and serves us amazing meal after amazing meal. Happy Mother's Day, babe. (laughs) God could have easily created us all exactly the same, right? If you think about it, there's there's no actual need for any of us to be different, to look different. God could have created all men and women to look exactly the same. He could have given us only one type of bird, for example. He could have given us only one flavor for food. But instead, 
He displays his glory and his common grace to us through the diversity in his creation. You know what our sinful heart does? It craves uniformity. And uniformity robs God, or robs us actually, from the lighting in God's glorious creativity. Uniformity also robs us of growth. In God's providence, I have had the pleasure of being part of many different churches. And one of the things that never ceases to amaze me is how different every single church is. Even churches within Grace Partnership, which is our group of churches, we are all different. And that's a huge blessing. You know, God shows his grace to the local church in that we are all different, but called to the same mission. You see, in the church, diversity is a feature, not a bug. Whenever I surround myself with, uh, only with people that think like me, I rub myself of growth. And for that, I am thankful for God, for, for Trinity. Even among the elders, I am surrounded by men who don't agree with me in everything. And I love that most of the time. <laughs> you know, I have learned from the people God has placed in my life in, 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 in different times. And I believe that I am better, I'm a better man because of the different kinds of people that God has surrounded me with. Even at times when things don't go well, I'm thankful for different people. A friend of mine once told me that God sometimes puts us in places that are difficult so that we can learn, even if that means we're learning how not to do things. So as a church of Jesus Christ, much damage is done when our unity comes from uniformity and not from diversity. Uniformity robs God of his glory. What do I mean by that? Justin Taylor puts it this way. He says, if a work of art is regarded as great among small and like-minded, sorry, among a small and like-minded group of people, but not by anyone else, the art is probably not truly great. Its qualities uh, are such that it does not appeal to the deep universals in our hearts, but only to the provincial biases. You see, when, when we lived in Malaysia, we were part of an international church, and there an Iranian, an Iranian friend came, uh, who came to know Jesus there once told me this. He said, you know, when I first visited the church, what kept me coming back was not the music. It was not the preaching. Ouch. <laughs> But it was to see people from all different countries, from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, worshiping the same God together in unity. Church, unity glorifies God, while uniformity robs Him of His glory. You see, when we seek and pursue only those that are like us, we are robbing God of His glory. You see, Christianity is not a niche worldview. Christianity is not for the few. As Rebecca McLaughlin says, Christianity is the most diverse movement in all of history. Have you ever thought about that? That in all of history, there's not a single movement, organization, or institution as diverse as the, as diverse as the church of Jesus Christ. Today, Around the world, in every nation, in different languages, people are gathering to worship the same God and preaching from the same Bible. This, by the way, is no accident. This is by design. And yet, we can so easily be deceived by this cheap counterfeit 
of uniformity. This leads me to my next point, which is another way in which unity can be hindered. And that is found in verses 21 through 24, the first half of 24. And it says this, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our own presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. And we're going to stop right there. And I want you to see here that the way that we view others can also hinder the unity of the body. Earlier we saw that, we can, that the way we see ourselves can hinder unity when we, and when we fall into the trap of comparison and we see ourselves as inferior. When we do that, we will be tempted to discount ourselves. On the other hand, uh, the other way we might fail when we fall into the trap of comparison is that we might compare ourselves to others and consider them inferior and exclude them. The problem with this is that the gospel does not allow it. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic when the government told us that as citizens, some of us were essential and some of us were non-essential? Well, there are no non-essential members in the kingdom of God. In the family of God, we are all important and we all have a role to play. In the symphony of the church, every single one of us has a part. And when we play our part, we make the church more beautiful and glorious. Paul tells us that there are parts of the body that are considered unpresentable. And yet he tells us that even these parts are indispensable and in need of special attention. But if God considers all his children essential, who are we to exclude those that are different? See, in my life, I've had two major surgeries. When I was 10, my appendix was removed. It really hurt, but I got to skip school for a few days. And then I was told my appendix was useless, so I didn't really care. Really, not having an appendix made very little difference in my daily life. Years later, I read somewhere that it was discovered that the appendix actually does play a role. Now, I can't tell you what it does because I'm no doctor, and frankly, I was too lazy to Google it. But I'm saying this to tell you that there are no appendixes in the body of Christ. And even if there were, they would be there with a purpose. So who are we to discount those who God has called to be part of his body? Who are we to exclude those that God includes? Let me ask you a personal question. Have you ever looked down on a brother or a sister in Christ for any reason and thought yourself superior to them? I know I have. There have been times in my life when even though I never put it in words, I know I looked down on brothers or sisters because of the way they looked or because of the way that they, walk, they, that they talk or maybe even because of the way that they vote or even because there are theological differences in secondary or even tertiary issues. I know I'm guilty of that. But here's the thing. Paul told us earlier that we were all baptized into one body, and all were made to drink of the Spirit. 
Have you ever thought about the fact that because of this baptism, you have more in common with a Christian from another country than a non-Christian from the same country as yours? You have more in common with a Christian that votes differently than you than with a non-Christian who votes exactly like you. You have more in common with a person that looks completely different than you, but is in Christ, than your doppelganger that doesn't know Christ. As H.B. Charles says, he says this, he says, because if I'm saved, the Holy Spirit is in me, and the Holy Spirit is in you. And the Holy Spirit in you is not going to tell you not to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit in me. If the Holy Spirit is in us, he will cause us to love one another. The Jesus in me will love the Jesus in you. Church, this unity of the body that the, spirit, uh, that, that, that the passage is speaking about leads us to mutual care. And I want us to see that in verses 24 through 26, the second part of 24. And I want us to see that mutual care is a fruit of unity. 24b says, it says, But God has so composed, composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. As a church, we are called to pursue and fight for unity. But unity is not an end in itself. The unity of the body has vertical and horizontal consequences. It brings glory to God, and it brings mutual care amongst the members. Paul tells us in, this, uh, in these verses that God composed the body, the verse as it, is, uh, as it is, so that there would be no divisions, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Church, God wants us to care for one another. The problem is that as I look around the church today, I often find a body that is divided and at war within itself. And this is a very dangerous place to be in. When a body is fighting against itself, doctors call that an autoimmune disease. There are apparently over 80 different types of autoimmune diseases, each with different symptoms and levels of danger. I hate to say that if social media alone is a reflection of the health of the church, it appears that the body of Christ is suffering of autoimmune disease. Where different parts of the body are, are fighting each other. And this disease has symptoms. And here are some of the symptoms that I see in the church. You see, I see the symptom of cynicism. When we look at each other with contempt and suspicion. I see the symptom of, of tribalism. When we close ranks around those within our tribe when they are wrong. <laughs> I see the, 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 the symptom of exclusivism. When we keep closing the circle to only a chosen few who are right and in the know. I see the symptom of unite, uh, unidirectional criticism. Which means when, when we are quick to criticize those who are outside our tribe while being blind to the problems coming from our side. The problem with only paying attention to one side of the street when you're crossing it, is that you might be run over from the back. 
And so let us beware of unidirectional criticism. All these things destroy unity and diametrically oppose God's desire for his bride. Here at Trinity, we believe that part of our job as elders is to equip believers for mutual care. Even if imperfectly, our desire is to continue to grow in mutual care and for our church to be marked by a spirit of mutual care among its members. Church, we have to care for one another. And remember that our church is only as strong as its weakest member. Paul tells us that when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. That is not only true of the local church, but it is true of the church as a whole. If, for example, the church in America, if, if the church in America suffers and is unhealthy, the whole body suffers. You may remember when Juan last visited us, about, about February, I think he was here with us. He said that one of the biggest problems that the Colombian church faces today is the missionaries that are sent from America. Many of whom have a great heart and a great genuine desire to serve, but who are not prepared for the work of ministry. If we as a church are not preparing our members for the work of ministry, the consequences go way beyond our local churches. Another example of one part of the body suffering would be uh, what's going on in Ukraine today. We are so thankful because we have a partner church in, in Rivne in Ukraine, and they have been doing a fantastic job witnessing and taking care of the local community. But dear friends, as the church suffers in Ukraine, the church here should be moved into action and care for them. And yet, we can so often be unmoved by what's going on there. But what's going on in Turkey and Syria and all over the world today. Church, when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. As I close this morning, I know that all this talk about unity and diversity is very common nowadays. Everyone likes to talk about those things, right? Our culture is especially obsessed with diversity. And because of that, even the mention of the word diversity might make some of us roll our eyes. But you see, the reason we are talking about both unity and diversity is because true unity and diversity is a beautiful thing. We cannot pursue one another at the cost, sorry, we cannot pursue one at the cost of the other. You know, I often work out of Starbucks, and you can tell when a, when a cruise just came back. Because you get a random group of people going through Starbucks. But you know what the difference is between the church and a cruise? That there is diversity in a cruise, but that's a useless diversity because there's no unity there. That's what makes a difference. That the diverse that we see in the church, like I said, that it is by design, it is only a blessing when it comes hand in hand with unity. And same thing with unity. It is only a blessing when it comes hand in hand with diversity. Warren Worsby said it like this. He said, unity and diversity must work together or one will destroy the other. 
Unity without diversity is uniformity. But diversity without unity is anarchy. Church, unity and diversity are not ends in themselves. But we are called by God to honor him in our pursuit of unity in our diversity for his glory and for the good of the body. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed this. Verse 20, in uh, John 17, verse 20 and on, he says this. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, and listen to this, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me, and loved them, sorry, even as you loved me. Should you hear this? Unity is not just cute. Unity is evangelistic. Unity is countercultural. Unity points to Christ. Jesus is praying for unity so that the world may look at the church and say, I need that God. Do you see how the basis of our unity is not this world? The fuel for our unity in diversity is not the desire, it's not a desire to satisfy our culture but it is the prayer of Christ for his people. And the perfect model of unity and diversity is actually found in the Trinity itself. The Godhead gloriously exemplifies the beauty of unity and diversity. Jesus prays that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. What Jesus is praying for the body is the same relationship he has enjoyed for eternity with the Godhead, as he and the Father and the Holy Spirit eternally love and honor one another in perfect unity. My friend, let this be us. Let us work hard to be the answer to Christ's high priestly prayer as we seek to love one another and outdo one another in honoring each other and caring for one another. So church, would you let me close this message by reading from Philippians 2, verses 3 and on. And if the band can come up, I promise I'm not going to play with you guys this time. But I want to close my message by reading this. Philippians 2, 3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he, uh, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, let us work hard on putting to death our selfish ambition, on putting to death our pride, our deceit, and let us, like Jesus uh, modeled for us,
empty ourselves, humble ourselves in pursuit of unity and diversity in the church. Church, would you stand with us as we respond in worship?